we're going to hear from uh, from Pontiff uh, Brasso here in just a few minutes. Pontificus Maximus. Um, but before we do that, uh, turn in your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 24. Go ahead and say there when you get there. <laughs> Rob's back in town, guys. Amen. <laughs> the Bible says this in Proverbs eleven twenty four. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Verse 25, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. You know, I was thinking about the Brassos this evening as, as we're getting ready to transition to, to having and hearing an incredible, very timely, right on kind of word from Buddy. When I think of a generous person, I, I think of Buddy Brasso. Don't you? Anybody ever been blessed by the Brassos? Uh, how many people in this room have ever eaten something cooked by the Brassos? Anybody ever had uh, the Brassos in your home or you in their home? Yeah, anybody ever had anything to move ever and had the Brassos show up? Yeah, we could keep doing this all night. We could keep doing these kind of things because we have a generous family here and a generous man, and he's going to prosper. He is going to refresh. He who has refreshed all of us in this room, will he himself be refreshed as well? What about you tonight? We have such a fantastic church. I'm sitting here in the break, and we're cutting up and and, and being silly and funny up here on stage. I'm looking out at my family members here in this place, just looking at you guys and realizing what a special, special group of people this is. One of the things that the enemy would like to try to do in a very practical sense, and you're not going to hear us mention these kind of things very often. The enemy is, is, is trying to keep us from doing the many things that we have that God has assigned to us. Our vision far. Everybody say far far exceeds our provision at this moment. The vision is way ahead of what we can do financially. Through demonic attacks of late, that has gotten even more serious. Amen. It's a good thing for us to be in this case because what we get to see is the Lord actually working out his word exactly as he says. Uh, but he's not going to be asking for it, but we're going to encourage you guys to be considering, to be praying about being a generous person yourself. In regards to Ehad to Peru, that you guys will consider giving above and beyond what you already give in your tithes and your offerings. Above and beyond what you already give and you're a generous people, but we want to make sure that we're giving so much that it hurts. That's what, we're, that's what this church is all about. Did you, I don't know if you guys caught it. See, I happen to know what's coming in the sermon. I happen to have been thinking about these things and hearing what the Lord is saying in a lot of different ways, but what I heard in through, through Sam tonight. Did you hear what was required for the resurrection power to come? The word was sacrifice. The Lord is calling us as a church to be and to continue to be and to be even more sacrificial. Tonight, as I'm thinking about it, a generous man will prosper. Yeah, the brasses are going to prosper. Whether you're a part of, of what they're doing or not, they're going to prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I'm just uh, encouraging you tonight because you want to be a part of that blessing too. 
you want to allow the Lord to look at you as a generous person. It's easy to look at the brasses. They've proven it time and time and time again. So we're going to ask of you to consider. To do more than consider. To figure out how you can be sacrificial towards the Brassos as they're getting ready uh, in just a few days. Less than two weeks. They'll be heading out back to Peru. And uh, so I just want to encourage you in that. We know we love them. And uh, let's make sure that we're showing that as well. Amen. Amen. There's two groups of people in this church that are, I'm falling more and more in love with every day. One is pretty obvious. It's our missionaries. And I think everybody that knows us knows that. The other is your children because they're tomorrow's missionaries. When I see Haley sitting back there, I can't help but think what her sons are going to become. When I look over and recognize that there was somebody else smart enough to name their kid Benaya in the church, I can't help but think about what the future holds. When we see the difficulty of raising the wild, fiery leaders coming out of the Treaster's house, I can't help but think that that is the future of missions in this church. When I listen to Josiah re- recite Hebrews 10, 22, I'm Look, that is our future. And you hear those kind of things as cheesy platitudes until you've lived long enough to watch your children go do it. And then you realize how quick it goes by and how rapid that is. I want to show you something from Judges that hit me like a sledgehammer the other night and the way that I think it relates to our church. It's Judges 7 and verse 7. If you haven't caught it, that's the seventh book, the seventh chapter, and the seventh verse. That'd be an easy way for you to remember this. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, (laughs) I will save you and will give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. Verse 8. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents. But kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now, I don't know how else to say this other than I'm guilty for many years of teaching this as there were 32,000 men, 22,000 went home because they were unworthy. And they were. They were terrified. And then there were 10,000. And I imbued certain moral qualities to those who drank one way or another. But the 10,000 who were standing here at this moment, all were not scared and wanted to follow Gideon into a battle where they were outnumbered 13 and a half to one. Think on that for a minute. How crazy must they have been? How for the Lord and for Gideon must they have been? I no longer see the 9,700 who went home as making a mistake somehow. It was the Lord who sifted them out. They wanted to go, and the Lord would not let them go for no other reason than he had a different project for them, and he wanted greater glory for his people. The 300 who got to go were privileged to be outnumbered 450 to 1. It would require the same spirit that was in Elijah for them to overcome, and they did. And we celebrate those 300, and I I think they're worth celebrating. Tonight, just for a couple minutes, I want to talk to you about the 9,700, though. 
They wanted to go. They were not allowed to go. They showed up for battle. They stood firm when 22,000 others walked away. And they were ready to go outnumbered 13 and a half. I think the 10,000 represents our church. I think at this point, if you are really LCM, you want to go. But the Lord has an apportion that everybody go. Not all of us are going to get to go to Peru. Not all of us will get to go to each of the countries that we send someone. At some point, we're in the 300, and at another point, we're in the 9,700, but we all are willing to go. Amen? Is that true of you? This is the hammering part. When they could not go, they left all of the provision that they had for that trip in the hands of the 300. 9,700 people prepared to go and didn't get to. But they proved their mettle in every sense. They weren't scared. They survived that cut. And then when the Lord himself said, you may not go on this trip, they put in the hands of the 300 the provisions of the 9,700. I have heard it said for years about missions. Some were called to play Some to pray and some to pay. I've hated that expression for 20 years. Because I don't think it's true. I don't think missions is play, number one. I don't think anybody's called to just sit back and pray. And I would never separate pray from pay, ever. I think that we have one division here. I think there's 10,000 of us who are willing to go and to die. 10,000 of us that are willing to face overwhelming odds. There are 10,000 of us, but there is one division. Those who actually have been appointed to go to that country. And those who will give all that they have to make sure their brother succeeds. I just want to encourage LCM. Let's not break this up into three categories. Let's not do that. Start thinking in terms of what your month would look like if you didn't go out to eat. Start thinking in terms of what your life would look like if you didn't have a cable bill. Start thinking in terms like that and see if the Lord will bless you in a way that allows you to be as generous towards missions in this church as you have been taught to be. I've never met a group of people like this. You've never let us down. And I have no idea where the Brassos stand at this very moment other than there is far more that we need than we have. And it's not just that. We're, there's three more families behind them and we're going to keep doing this forever. And I think the reason that the Lord will meet our needs is because we hold nothing in reserve. We show up for battle. We survive the fear cut. And if we're sifted out on the last day of battle, then whatever we prepared... We leave in the hands of the men that are doing it. Doesn't that set well with your spirit? I've been in the Lord 24 years. I've never heard such a thing. I've never seen it before in the word. And when I'm alone privately with the Lord digging in his word, this is what he's showing me. The devil has worked to whittle us down. He's tried to cut away our jobs. He's tried to cut away our finances. He's tried to cut away our supporters. That's okay. The world will watch it get done. With the 10,000 that remain. We say those 300 won the battle. And I'm going to leave it here. But they didn't. 
Because the swords that were in their hands were their brothers. And more than that, those 300 started a movement. And do you know who came to join them immediately thereafter? Every man that had gone home was quickly called back to the field once they got the movement started. This is the beginning of one association, Latin America. It's not the beginning of Chavai, Peru. It feels like it's the beginning of Chavai, Peru. It feels like it's the Brassos going out. It is the beginning of the conquest of the Western Hemisphere. Now, I am accustomed to standing in garages with just a few people and telling you what is going to happen 15 and 20 years into the future. As surely as I am standing here, we have the privilege as a very small group to be a part of something that is going to spread over the whole Western Hemisphere. And at the very same time that they're going, we're going to stake our claim in the center of the Middle East. We're not going to leave any area of the world unturned, but the truth is is we will need every acorn that we can find, every single one. Amen? Uh, I'd like us to pray for Buddy, because when Buddy was given the opportunity to address this church before he leaves... And we'll probably find other ways for him to do it some more. He didn't, I've read over his notes, I've gone over. He didn't take one moment to talk about what he needed. Now I'm trying to encourage him to, but he didn't. His notes are about what you need. I'm not kidding you. He is preaching a message tonight, not about what he's going to accomplish and what he needs to do that. He is still thinking about you in what you need to make the king of kings proud. That's, that's what his study time has been. I'm honored to stand with men like this. We ordained him. Now it's time to stand with him to the end. Amen? Amen. Is it okay if we pray for him? Yes. Can we do something terribly uncouth? Can you get off your salvation and stand up and pray for him? Yes, Lord. <clears throat> Mighty God, we thank you for the works of your hands in the Brasso family. Oh, the forming and shaping over the course of the years. Lord, we pray that now that your spirit would fill him, that your words would come out of his mouth, that would wreck our souls, that would encourage our spirits, Lord, they would give us inspiration to go out and be what you have called us to be. Lord, that your anointing would flow on top of his head and down to his family and all those that you would put him over. Lord, the works on the hills of Chavai and in Peru will continue to echo out and affect families and affect nations. Lord, you would raise up ministers under his care, pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles, and prophets. Lord, that elders would rise up underneath him as well. That his church would be established under his care and then plant another one and another one and another one. That we would see your work thrive and Yes, Lord. Under his hands, mighty God. We thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to share in our brother's anointing, share in his call, and share all in your glory. In the name of Jesus, we say amen and amen. 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 Am I on? You can hear me? So tonight is Wednesday. February 28th, 2018, and tonight's message is called Three Lives and No Reserve. Amen. Let's get started in Mark 8, 
And while you guys are getting there, <clears throat> I just want to give you greetings and love from the North Camp. As uh, the Brasso family just returned back from uh, an amazing trip from the Arising Church. And they are already looking forward to seeing you guys in October. They're already preparing the property and getting the land prepared for us. And so they just want to say uh, that they send their love and support to us as well. Also, um, tonight's message is about just what we heard prophesied. It's about momentary trials and personal sacrifices. So while I'm preaching tonight, before I even get started, I couldn't help but think that we just spent five days in Chicago with uh, Brenda and Mark Morrison. And I tell you what, they are a pure example of a sacrificial family living for the kingdom of God and advancing the gospel everywhere they go. And they blessed us tremendously. And uh, it's so amazing to be with a family that's like that. Uh, they truly pour out their love and their heart and their support for us. And so we look forward to getting back there in October as well. Um, while I'm preaching this message tonight, not only do I want you to think about momentary trials, personal sacrifices, but more importantly, think about yourselves. As Nick was praying tonight, he began praying about family, relationships, and I can't tell you how important that is. Amen. This is our family. For the yeah. Brassos, LCM will always be home. LCM will always be our family. And uh, think about yourself tonight. Don't think about someone else who is not here. Don't think about someone who you think needs to hear this message because I'm going to tell you what. This is dear to my heart. This is what we've been living for the last three months. And you guys are my family. And I care about you. And that's why this sermon is for you, not anybody else. It's specifically for you. So let's get into Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Find yourself there. <clears throat> All right. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. The reason we're starting off with this scripture here is because unlike Luke and Matthew, this is the only scripture that says... And for the gospel. The others talk about losing your life and sacrificing all for Jesus, for your salvation. But this one says, and for the gospel. See, the Lord is calling us to just more than our initial salvation. He's calling us to go beyond that. He's calling us to something more. And that something more is a sacrifice for others. Not for ourselves, but for others. Amen. So at the beginning it says, he called. Remember that God is always calling you. As Pastor Eric said... We are all called and we all want to go. The question is, at some point, you have to answer the call. It's no longer good just to sit on your salvation, but the point is, you have to begin to work for others to see them attain salvation. Amen. So as we go into it, it says, <clears throat> those that want to, that means you have a choice. This is something that's voluntary. He's not forcing you to do it. He's not making you do it. He's called, but it's voluntary. You get the opportunity to do it. He's giving you that opportunity to attain the eternal kingdom with eternal glory. <clears throat> the word deny, it doesn't just mean deny yourself. It means a giving up. It means refusing something in your life. It also means an outward focus. 
an outward focus to where you're not benefiting from anything. Again, this whole gospel message, not just the one I'm preaching tonight, but the gospel in general, it's about other people. It's first save yourself so then you can go and get somebody saved through the Holy Spirit, right? Because we don't do anything. All we do is we share the good news. We share the gospel of Jesus Christ and we allow the Holy Spirit to draw them and do the work. So right there, that takes the pressure off of you. However, it does not nullify the fact that you have to go and you have to preach the gospel. Amen? Amen. All right, his cross. His cross, it literally means death on a cross. But figuratively, it means an exposure to death, a self-denial. I want to take a moment to sit here. I want you guys to see a picture as we look at a prophecy. Tara, would you show that first slide, please? Okay. Here's Jesus. This is from Passion of the Christ. On the right-hand side of the screen, we have Jesus, B.C., means before the cross. On the other side, we have Jesus on the cross. This is what it looks like to sacrifice yourself. That's what Jesus did for each and every one of you in this room. He sacrificed his life for you. Don't take it lightly. The point is, is that he is so unrecognizable here, and it is from a prophecy in Isaiah that we're about to read. But on the right-hand side, he looks just like us. On the left side, we don't even know what it is. We don't even know who he is. We don't even know what he resembles. So to see this fulfilled, let's go to Isaiah 52 and let's find verse 14. Isaiah 52, 14. says, just as there were many who were appalled at him. If you look at the footnote there in Hebrew, it says you. So again, not only him, but like I told you tonight, be focused on yourself. It says, and even you. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man. And his form marred beyond human likeness. Go back to our picture, Tara. Beyond human likeness. And me personally, I think this picture does him justice. I actually think there may have been some photoshopping here. Because when we read about the account of the crucifixion, and we understand truly what Jesus had to go through, the sacrifice, the personal sacrifice, the fact that he put everything on the line for you and I, this doesn't do it justice. Tara, show the uh, second picture, please. This is Jesus, but this also applies to us. (laughs) Okay, y'all focus on the person on the right, not the left. The one on the left, um, see, you wouldn't know by the smile on my face because after being married for 22 years and I found the most beautiful woman in the world, on the right, I'm standing next to her. On the left, I'm sitting next to Jesus. (laughs) Because, see, as we are to become more and more transfigured in our looks, more unrecognizable, After 22 years of marriage, this is how I see my wife. I see her as Jesus Christ. I no longer see the woman that was on the right, but I see the woman that's sitting there is a resemblance of Jesus. Uh, This picture of myself, that is B.C. That's before I actually knew Christ. That's actually before I knew the cross. On the left, um, well, that's after I found Jesus. 
And uh, praise God for that because that's what gives me the opportunity to be speaking to my family tonight is because more and more I'm trying to look like Christ. See, you really can't recognize the young man on the right compared to the older guy on the left. Um, And so I hope that in due time as we continue forward in the race that I become more like Christ so that when I walk into a room, not only do they feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in the anointing, but they see Jesus Christ walking in, that they don't see Buddy, they don't see Pastor Ricardo. They see a living resemblance of what Jesus Christ is on earth. Amen. Let's go back to uh, Mark eight thirty-four. He says, follow me. I want you to realize that that is uh, to join or to become as a disciple. And we've just finished up the... Uh, Talmudium series, so we know all about what it is to be a disciple. It says to accompany him or to follow one who proceeds. Jesus preceded us. But again, God doesn't want us to stop with just that. He wants us to go one step beyond, one step further. He wants us to go to the point where we are living a life so sacrificially that we put others before ourselves at all times. At all times. And that's why he takes the, the, the point to say, and for the gospel. Because that, that's when we're called to more. That goes beyond the initial salvation. That is salvation for others. So we see two there. We see one for ourselves and one for others. Remember, the message tonight is about you. Would you show the third picture there? We'll talk about... <laughs> that the message is about you. In uh, Isaiah 52, 7, right before where we were a while ago, it says, how beautiful are the feet, or how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring the good news. Uh, for most of us, unless you have a foot fetish, these feet are not beautiful. But I'm going to tell you what, these feet belong to our pastor in the one association, Zeke Lamb. And to me, these feet are more than beautiful. Why? Because those feet brought the good news to Honduras. And so for what most people in the world look at as something ugly, when it's for the gospel, when it is for Christ himself, it is something very beautiful. Amen. Amen. In fact, we're leaving tomorrow morning to go see our brother, so I can't wait to uh, talk to him and see how his feet are doing. All right. So... Dying to self is an absolute surrender to God himself. It's completely dying to yourself. We have no better example of that than Jesus Christ himself. He is the true example of dying to self and serving others. His sacrifice, you could take that one off, Tara, please. Thank you. Uh, I see everybody looking like, man, those feet are something. Let's get back to this. Jesus' sacrifice was death on the cross. Our benefit is the eternal kingdom of God. So what we see Jesus' sacrifice and then we see our benefit, someone else gave us that benefit. It's, we're receiving from others at all times. We're pouring out. Our sacrifices in our life are always for someone else. We never look to benefit. If you do, you're truly not living a sacrificial mind. Or a fat sacrificial life. 
Mark 10, 45 says, you don't have to go there. He says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Hmm. Is your life a ransom tonight? If you died tonight, could you say that your life was a ransom for many? Or would it truly be only for yourself? Again, this message is for you. See, Jesus laid out his life from start to finish. And it was always about others. And when I was recently reading in several of the Gospels about the crucifixion, what I saw was at the very end of his life, at the crucifixion, Jesus was worried about everybody but himself. Think about it. As he walked to the cross, as he got to the cross, he was concerned about the sheep. He was concerned about his family. He was concerned about those that hated him. He was concerned about the sinners. He was so concerned that his own mother, he entrusted her to John, the one who, he, who was beloved by Jesus. It wasn't even his own brother, James. The very Romans that crucified him, that hated him, he was praying for him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Um, even on the very last moment, the thieves on the cross... He told one of them, today I will see you in paradise. Even to the very end, guys, Christ had poured himself out as a drink offering for many others. And I was thinking about that and I said, you know what? Acts class is in process right now. And in Acts 1, we learn about the illusion of the first time. Put myself there. And it's easy to read and to say, yeah, those poor Romans, the thieves, even his own mother. But you know what? With the, with the illusion of the first time, that's you. You're the Roman. You're the sinner. And you're even Jesus' family. You know, think about that. Let it sink in. It's not them. It's you and it's I who put Jesus on the cross. See, I thought about it as like a game of Clue. It was the Romans with the hammer, with with the stakes in their hand, at the cross. We don't have to guess any other person because Jesus laid it out for us. He told us who it was then, and he also is reminding us tonight that it's you. It's you. And we have to remember that. We have to know that our life is not our own. When we said yes to Christ, we said no to everything. Pastor Mike preached a message about all means all. (laughs) That still applies today. All means all. Means say no to it all. It was voluntary. It was a voluntary action. Let's go to John 10. We're going to read about being voluntary, what Jesus said. John 10. Going down to uh, verse 17. We'll start there. Verse 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This I command Or this command I received from my father. 
Do you think it's important to lay your life down? He says it three times in this passage. Three times. Three times, right? Three lives and no reserve. Three times to lay it down. It is extremely important that we lay our lives down. Philippians 2.8, don't turn there, but it says, Paul is saying, we must have the same attitude as Christ. We must be obedient unto death, even unto death on a cross. We have to remember, our life is not our own. We have to pick up our cross. We have to follow him, and we have to deny ourselves daily. It's not just a one-time thing. That one-time thing was the initial salvation. The reason we're doing it daily, see, we think we're doing it daily because we have to die to ourselves and our flesh, but we're doing it daily. Why? For others. So that's a new concept. We're so used to thinking about dying to ourselves, so we benefit, but that's not why we do it. We die to ourselves daily so others can benefit from it. Let's go to Romans 12. Verse 1 and 2, we're going to see about Paul's life because we've already seen Jesus as the example. And just like us, Paul has used that as an example. And in Romans 12, 1, he's explaining to the Gentiles about a sacrificial life. And he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers... In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as what? A living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, again, he's reminding us, be transformed. Be unrecognizable. Just like the pictures we saw a few minutes ago. To the point that wherever you go, people do not recognize you anymore. For the sake of Christ and not yourself. I saw the footnote there, the spiritual act of worship. If your footnote, it says, or a reasonable act of service. In my mind, when I think of reasonable, what I think of, that's the bare minimum. Right? He's telling you, become a living sacrifice. Again, that's a bare minimum. He's not asking for a ton of things. He's just saying, look, it's just a bare minimum. A living sacrifice, that's it. The thing is, we don't even realize what that means. All of us are quick to say yes and amen and Lord, I'll do it. It's easy to say it, but it's it's not that easy to live it or to walk it out. Paul's example or some of his examples in his life of living a sacrificial life. As I was reading, uh, Paul lived his whole life just like Jesus. Everything he did was sacrificial. It was always for others. But the thing that I like is that in one part I was reading in 1 Corinthians, and we'll go there in a minute, is that Paul had the opportunity to eat what he wanted, to not eat what he wanted, to eat meat, not eat meat, the whole scenario. He had the opportunity to uh, receive finances, not receive finances. And because of his right and liberty, he chose not to do that at times. So what I'm saying is we have the opportunity, guys, to do a lot. We have rights. We have liberties in our lives that are granted to us. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's good that we do them. 
at some point we have to think about our neighbor. We have to think about our brothers, our sisters, our family. We have to think about those that we're truly laying our lives down, the ones that we're sacrificing for daily. Is it more worth it to us that we, that we utilize the liberties in our life or live more sacrificially for our brothers? It's something we have to think about. Um, the idea of taking upon things in our own lives and just doing them without thinking about others, we don't, we don't understand that everything we do in life has a consequence. Um, Cody recently got married. He's now realizing that his actions, the things that he does, do not just affect him. He now has to begin to think about others. He has to think about Wendy. Let's think about those that have recently had babies. You know, it's easy when we're husband and wife and we're off going somewhere and, man, we're quick, good to go. As soon as we have that first child, uh-oh, there's diapers that have to be changed. They're, you know, now we're 10 minutes late everywhere we go because of that. Those are things we don't realize. Again, getting into marriage, getting into having children will cause you to live a sacrificial life. But that's still very, very temporal. And it's also very, very worldly and selfish. Because, again, you're dying to things for your own benefit because you don't want to be late uh, because of what your wife might do or give you or whatever the case might be. But, again, it's going beyond that. It's going to others. So I'm going to show you how we put this message into practice right in the middle of the sermon. Pastor Wade said that I would not ask about finances, right? Well, because I have already put pride to death in my life. Because that's something that I struggled with. This is a great opportunity because I have the mic. So I am going to express my concern about finances. Because yes, we do need finances on the mission field. See, I have died to many things in my life. Pride being one of them. Money being one of them. Cars, homes, the nice house, the American dream. I've learned in my life what that means to put it to death, nail it on the cross once and for all. So, yes, we do need your support. With that being said, I'm also going to show you the other side of this sermon, which is this. I'm not just standing up here asking for myself tonight. We still have a brother that is considered family in Indonesia. We still have his son in our house tonight, and it's an honor and a blessing. We also have three pastors that have gone before us and done the exact same thing. This is their mission field. They're not going to stand up here and ask for finances for themselves, but I'll do it. Because I don't have pride anymore. So what I'm saying is, we can talk about a lot of things, whether it's money, whatever your vice is, whatever it is that you have to sacrifice. But right now I'm talking about money. Because it is needed for us to advance the kingdom of God as well. Our brothers are getting ready to go to Turkey for a three-week trip. They need finances. So if it's on your heart as well to help fund them, even though they're not in Turkey yet, it's part of the going. These guys are putting their faith into action because faith is in the going. It is not wait until they receive a phone call from Turkey that we have a house set up for you, we have a church. Nope, they're putting it into action right now. Right, Nick? They're doing it. And I know what that's like to do it. So I'm asking on their behalf is that if it's on your heart, you support them financially to go on this trip in another two weeks. Also, Go beyond your normal tithe. Go beyond your normal offering and giving. Bless our pastors. 
as they were given accolades earlier about how much the Brasso family has blessed you guys, Pastor Wade, Pastor Matt, Pastor Eric, those men have lived such a sacrificial life and have set the example here. They not only are owed it, it's an honor and it's a privilege for us to be able to give it. Because this is a model of a sacrificial lifestyle. And that's where we learned it from. And we're going to do the same thing. We're going to go to Peru and exemplify that very walk right there. We're going to show them what it looks like to be sacrificial in everything that you do. So that we can see the fulfillment of Ihad to Peru and the fulfillment of the One Association Latin America. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, somewhere along the line I got off. Let's get back. Enough of that soapbox. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9. Let's get there. We're going to see what Paul's conviction is on the matter as well. All right, give me time. 1 Corinthians 9. Okay, guys, we're family. Lighten up. Y'all a little serious. Verse 16. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16. It starts. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Hmm. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. If I preach, what? Voluntarily. I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? It's just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. See, this is Paul's conviction. He has rights. Look, we all have rights. And I hear that so many times in the world, man. People who are not saved, they're so far from Christ. Man, that's my right to do this, to do that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're right about your right. You have the right. But it does not mean that you always have to exercise it. Because sometimes, by you not exercising your right, it's leaving behind a sacrifice that can bless many others. So this, the title of the message tonight is Three Lives and No Reserve. So I want to show you this. Let's go to 2 Timothy 4. We're going to start in verse 6. This is where I start to see this. 2 Timothy. Second Timothy 4, 6. Okay. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. Zadok in Hebrew is righteous. Just saying. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all, all means all, who have longed for his appearing. So again, this message is not just about me, but it's about you. It's about you because that same reward that Paul is speaking of is also for yourself. So when looking looking at this, we see how Paul has poured out his life as a drink offering from start to finish. He said, now it's departed. He's ran that race. He's fought the good fight. It's come for a time for rest now. 
that rest he deserves because he's poured himself out like a drink offering. He's sacrificed himself all the time. So I see that as his life before Christ, his life in Christ, and the life that he is going to attain, the one that he is going to inherit in the kingdom. And when he inherits it, he'll have nothing in reserve. He'll show up just as naked as he was when he came out. I mean, that's how we want to be. We want to stand before the Lord completely naked. We want to say, Lord, here I am. And the thing that we want to hear is, well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen. 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 Being poured out like a drink offering. So that was Paul's conviction. Let's look at what I consider Paul's mezuzah. And that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. So Paul's mezuzah. We all know what our mezuzah is because that's something that's ingrained in us. And can I tell you how important it is to have a mezuzah statement? Since we've been in Peru for those two months, man, that has been life-giving and life-saving for us because we have had lots of opportunities to talk to many, many people, many people in the community, and they say, man, you guys should do this. I think if y'all added this to the ministry, it'd be great. Could you help us do this? I mean, the list, I'm serious, in two months must have been 15 things. What gave me great pleasure was to be able to say no. And I know it sounds funny because here I am preaching about sacrificing ourselves and living for others. But I said no because those things are not in my mezuzah. And if I was to run after each and every one of those things and think that it was a God thing instead of just a good thing, I would be so far sidetracked from what my actual task at hand and my mezuzah for Peru would be that I would lose focus. But what I did tell him was this. Because at our church, we believe that we should die for our brother's vision. I need my brothers and my brothers need me. I said, what we'll do is we're going to partner alongside of you and help you any way we can. So when you come to Chivai, man, we're going to put our lives on hold. We're going to work with you in this endeavor, whatever it is. When we go into the canyon, you guys are welcome to come. We're going to work again alongside of you. We will follow up with people. We will help do our part to see that your vision is fulfilled. But as far as us taking it on, we can't do it. All right, let's see Paul's mezuzah in 2 Corinthians twelve fifteen. He says here, So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. Can you say no reserve? He says, I will. That means he's doing it and he'll continue to do it. That's how his mind works. It says, if I love you more, will you love me less? I see that as a sacrificial mindset. What he's saying is, look, I'm going to love you regardless. No matter what. Who else does that sound like? Amen. Right? He's going to love you no matter what. He's going to love you unconditionally and he's not looking for anything in, in return. That's what Christ did. That's the same mindset that Paul has. That's the same mindset that we as the Brasso family have. When we are in Peru, even when we're here living among our family, our mindset is we're going to love you. We're going to work for the kingdom for you. We're going to do everything we can to pour ourselves out like a drink offering because we want to see each and every one of you in this room reach your potential and reach the kingdom of God with us because we will make it. We will make it. Failure in our family is not an option. We go as one, we travel as one, we do work in the kingdom as one. 
So if one fails, we all fail. We're building unity. There's a reason why the Lord gave us Acts 4.32, that all believers will be one in heart and mind, because that's what we're bringing to Peru. Let's go to um, talk about our cross now. Uh, Matthew 10, verse 37 is where we'll start. Matthew 10, verse 37. We're going to find out tonight. Are you worthy to truly follow Jesus like he's expecting? And Matthew 10 is going to share that with us. Verse 37. Anyone who loves his family, I'm sorry, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me, again, is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So are you picking up your cross daily? Would you be found worthy? Worthy of the Lamb? Would you be found worthy of Him for the life that you're currently living? If you were to die today, would you really be found worthy? You know, we're all family. We always tell each other how much we love one another. But again, we cannot put each other before Christ, no matter how much we love one another. We, we must have Him as the center point in our heart and in our mind. The sacrifice that it takes to do this. Sacrifice is taking up one's cross regardless of the cost. We have to count the cost of what it means to truly pick up our cross. So I wanted to share a little bit about what does that mean. What does that mean to carry our cross, that burden? It's not a burden that we have in life such as a bad job, a bad car, bad marriage. Uh, For us personally, uh, Kim's chronic pain. My short stature, uh, old age going on a mission field. It, that is not what our burdens are in life. What our burdens are, for me personally, like I said earlier, it was things that I had to die to. The pride, the riches, the homes. And the one that's still extremely hard for us is the relationships, is you, you guys. You guys are our family, you know. And the biggest thing for us in Peru and living that sacrificial life, life is dying daily to the relationships in our lives, to our brothers, our sisters, our family, our mothers, fathers, not only physically, but spiritually. Because, again, you guys are our family, you know. Uh, I, I look at Charlie as, you know, my father. Baj is like my older brother that I never had. A lot of you guys, I look at some of you are like my children. I mean, you're in that same age group. And so for me and Kim, it's extremely hard because we're still dying to that daily. And the sacrifices that we go through um, is for you because we love you. You know, uh, our family, they're in in, uh, Lafayette. But you guys here is something that we battle with all the time, just being honest. So that to us is our burden. You know, I could leave the money. I leave all that other stuff, and we've done it. We've learned what that's like. That doesn't hurt anything are nowhere near. Uh, <laughs> my wife is in tears over there because this is so true, guys. 
we live a life for, every, for everyone else. And, but most importantly, we're first living a sacrificial life for all of you in this room because we love you all that much. And coming home and being able to have this opportunity to share with you our heart, it blesses us beyond measure. And we're just so glad to be here. But So that, that struggle is real for us, you know, uh, those relationships. And that's how we model the mission trips on, you know, is the man of peace principle. We shared that when we were at the Rising Church is the man of peace. I, I said about Mark and his family, how they poured out that sacrificial life to us. He's a perfect example of what a man of peace looks like. Amen. My brothers are going. They've made three or four trips already to Turkey. And I know just like on our trips, everywhere you go, you're praying for that man of peace. You're praying for a relationship. You're praying that the Lord would show you another man on, on another continent or on an, in another country that would display a sacrificial life for us. Because it, it goes both ways. It's not just that we do it, but it's for others to do it for us as well because we want to have a chance to benefit as well because that's how the kingdom works. I need my brothers and my brothers need me. So what it is, is it, it is a true act of submission and a willingness to pay the price to do whatever God asks us to do. See, one of the trips I went on recently, the Lord downloaded uh, Proverbs 13.8, and I shared it with Pastor Eric when we were at the men's, re- uh, men's reload that we had. And it says that a poor man hears no threat. And can I tell you, my mind is completely silent. It's quiet. I don't hear anything because I am a poor man. I'm a poor man in today's economy in today's society but can i tell you how rich i am in the kingdom Amen. we are so blessed beyond measure that we, we we're learning how to adapt to that that lifestyle as well it's to do whatever god asks at any given time anywhere any place no matter what the cost is because when we said yes we truly said no to ourselves i know jesus paid the price for us but we are paying price and living sacrificially for the others around us to be able to benefit because we need them. We need you guys. Amen. We need you. So it's basically putting to death your own desires, your thoughts, your plans, anything that you have planned for your own life. It's putting all that to the side and looking outward. Say, Lord, what is it that you would have for me to do in order for someone else to benefit? What else can I do for your kingdom He says in John 15, there's no greater love has no one than this is that he who would lay his life down for others, for friends, for family, for whoever. You could fill in the blank there. Lay down your life for blank. Who is it that you're going to lay your life down for? Now, if we can't do it for yourself, if you can't do it for your wife, your children, you're sure not going to do it for somebody you don't know in Peru. I'm just saying you know, these brothers are traveling hours and hours in vehicles to get from one town to another, 11, 12 hours. You think they're doing it for themselves? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. They're doing it for those that God is calling them to. They're doing it to see captives set free. They're doing it to see the kingdom advanced in Turkey. Amen. It is not about themselves. If it was, they'd save a whole lot of money and they would just stay here. I want to share with you this quote from an African missionary, David Livingstone. (laughs) Died when he was 60 years old on the mission field. Great place to die. He said this. There was a missionary society that wrote to him, and they said, Livingstone, 
Have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to send other men to join you. Wasting no time, Mr. Livingstone replied. If you have men who will come only if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. Because, see, he knows men like that have not counted the cost. He knows that men like that, when the going gets tough, they're going to fold, they're going to crumble. Because they don't know what it means to sacrifice. They don't have what it takes to sacrifice, nor do they, nor are they willing to. When I read that quote, it reminded me, uh, Kim shared with them in, uh, in a, at uh, the Arising Church. We had an opportunity to share about Peru, not only on Monday night, but also in a home meeting. And I forget, they were asking something about the canyon. And we were talking about this whole sacrificial living and, you know, finding a road. And Kim said, yeah. Uh, in some parts of the canyon now, to a certain point, they have made a road. And they're like, oh, wow. And quickly, my wife said, yeah, but it's not for you. We're not taking you on that road. It's not for you. And I love that because, again, it's not that we want to make things hard, but people have to understand the sacrifice that is put in to see the kingdom of God advance. If it's easy, everyone would be doing it. That's right. Amen? So talk about two people that... uh, I thought about this aspect that when the going gets tough, they kind of crumbled. The first one was Peter. I was reading and he said, uh, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus said, oh, well, where I'm going, you can't come right now. He's like, but Lord, I lay my life down for you. And then Jesus turned around and he said, hmm, you will really lay down your life for me. And then what happens? He denies him three times because Jesus knew that. And I thought to myself, Lord, have I ever done that? Have I claimed this? And have I fallen? I remember, Ray, you, you in here? There you are. Remember when we went to uh, Mexico the first time? Man, I, was, I just got born again. I was on fire. And I remember saying, oh, Lord, I'll lay down my life for you. I'll die for the gospel. Man, I was so excited. We crossed into the border just five minutes, and we're getting pulled over by cartel at gunpoint. Can I tell you, at that moment, I was probably like Peter. I mean, we were praying in the spirit, and I, I honestly saw my life go before me. I saw all my, my family, relatives, friends, everything everything I had done that wasn't right, and I was getting right real quick. I was at the cross. I mean, <laughs> sacrificial life right there, guys. But I'm serious. There's going to come a day when we stand before the Lord for judgment, and we have to know, have we done all that we can do for the gospel? Have we done what we said we were going to do, or will we remain as a Peter when we get to the kingdom for judgment? The other one that I was reading about was um, Aaron. In Exodus 32, it's the whole golden calf. I'll just summarize it, but I thought it was interesting. So Aaron is there, and when the Israelites come to him, and they're like, man, yeah, we don't know about this Moses guy. What's up with him, you know? And so he's like, okay, give me your gold earrings. We're going to throw those in the fire. He takes time to forge, it says. Uh, he, um, he, he takes time and thought to make something. And then... When he's called on it, what happens? Oh, I, I don't know. I just threw some gold in there and out came the calf. I, no, no, that's not what happened. You took time and effort. You did it on purpose. So we see in that, in that story, I see again two people to exemplify uh, examples of the message that we're preaching tonight. One hand, we see a guy who's bringing things to death with Aaron because, oh, just this calf appeared. No, that's not exactly what happened. Let's be honest. You did it. You took time to do it. The other hand is Moses. Moses goes to bat for him. Lord, don't destroy them. No, no, no. Please don't destroy him. 
He wants to say what? Hey, if anybody's name is going to be blotted out, let it be my name. Talk about dying to, to self, dying for your brothers, laying down your life for others. Moses was willing to have his name blotted out on behalf of the Israelites. I mean, that's crazy when I read that. I had never realized that before. But we have someone like Aaron living a life for death, but then we have Moses showing uh, an example of sacrificial living for others that he would lay down his life so much that he'd say, no, Lord, take my name. But what does God say quickly? No, no. We're going to have a time for judgment where every man is accountable to themselves, for themselves. They're the ones that sin, so they'll be judged for that sin, not you. And think about that. Again, I told you that this message is about you. It's not about others. It's about you. So we have to realize what we're doing is for others. We have to live a life like that, sacrificially, day in and day out. So are you truly living for others? We're going to go to Leviticus. Because earlier in Mark, we read about they were called. We know the book of Leviticus is what? In Hebrew. They were called. They were called, or he called. Again, God is always calling us, always calling us. So let's go to Leviticus 19. In Leviticus 19, I see here instructions that Moses gives us for a sacrificial life. Leviticus 19, verse 9. Nineteen verse nine. Okay. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field, or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time, or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Immediately, we can't help but think the example we see in Ruth chapter 2 as well. We finished up the Ruth study not long ago. And we see this thing, this same instructions being played out there. What I want you to understand from these instructions and what we see in Ruth is this. That God's provisions are good enough for everyone. They're good enough for those that are needy. Right here, those that are needy, those that are poor, those that are alien, those that are in need and they're also good enough for the harvesters they're good enough for you they're good enough for me and they're good enough for others so these instructions give us an example of what life really looks like is that when we take what we have remember we just talked earlier about finances and 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 giving an extra offering and supporting people your provision that god's given you is 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 enough it's more than enough and the little extra that he's asking you to give away, it's for those that truly are in need. Like Pastor Eric was saying, it's those that have put everything they have at the feet of the 300 for those that are truly going to battle. And that's the same principle. You know, those that are picking from the outside, the ones that are needy, are just as provided for as those that have received a huge harvest. Amen? So God's provision is sufficient for both of us. Because you don't know what you're leaving behind. What you're leaving behind in the fields, 
that sacrifice right there, you don't know what kind of eternal perspective that has on someone's life. What you are leaving as a sacrifice is actually a blessing. We saw that with Jesus. His sacrifice on the cross was a blessing for all of us for eternal glory. Amen? I want you to consider this, though. Just as we focus on the sacrifice for others, consider what we see about leaving behind in Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira, right? What they left behind, what they kept for themselves, is the very thing that killed them. So I would say that God is just as much concerned with what we leave behind and what we keep for ourselves as He is for what we give. Sometimes we're so focused on what we give, what I gave, look at me. Sometimes we have to turn around and look at see what's behind us. Is it a sacrifice or are we building our own kingdom back here? When I started to get this revelation was when I learned what the opened hand, I say the, I don't know, the open hand policy, if you will. Uh, it speaks about it in Deuteronomy 15, about being tight-fisted for those that are in need and lend freely. When I was at the pinnacle of my career as a physical therapist, we're making 160 some odd thousand dollars. And the Lord had already walked me through this, this process of dying to self with finances. And we began to live a life like this, open-handed. We no longer had it like this because God had worked, walked me all the way through learning how to tithe, how to tithe from the first fruits of that which before I even received my check, and uh, how to give over in abundance, to give those sacrificial offerings. So we began to live life just like this. What the Lord put in here, it went out here. You know, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. At that point in our life, we were living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, people didn't understand that. Oh, that's crazy. How in the world could that be? That's because we were now demonstrating a sacrificial life. That what we had, we were no longer owners of. We were now becoming good stewards of. And there's a big difference between ownership and stewardship. Yeah. Big difference. And again, working on our pride. We went on a mission trip to Israel, to Honduras, and to Swaziland, Africa that year. Making that kind of money, I still had to ask, for financial support. You talk about hurt your pride. When you have to send out letters and begin to ask people if you could help support me to go on the mission field. And most of those people knew what kind of job I had. Um, that's when I truly begin to die to self. When it came to those kinds of things. What it looked like to truly lose things in my life that I was putting before God. The thing that we have to remember is that it's always about others and not ourselves. Yes. The thing that I loved about the church when I first got here and we started living here was I remember sitting down with Pastor Matt and Pastor Eric at times and I said, uh, I want to know all the scriptures of things of where you guys get everything that we come from. You know, uh, I'm saved, I'm being saved, I will be saved. Uh, I need my brothers. My brothers need me. I wanted to know what the DNA of, of the church was. I wanted to know exactly where all these things came from. And the one that I love is blood in the offering because it's about a sacrifice. So let's go there. For those of you who know it, you know where to find it right now. Those that don't, it's in First Chronicles twenty one twenty four. It's also, uh, I think it's in Second Samuel. Yeah. 
It's in both. And so we're going to read out of 1 Chronicles 21, 24. 1 Chronicles 21, 24. It says, But King David replied to Arona, No, I insist on paying the full price. Everybody say full price. Full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. That to me is a true sacrifice. We want to have blood in the offering. We want to know that we have done all that we could do. So if that means selling something to go on the mission field, if that means doing extra work to go on the mission field, or even to to do things here, because I know that same principle has been applied to even uh, the sanctuary that we're in tonight. You know, everything that we do, we should have in the mindset that we need to have some type of sacrifice or it's not worth it. That's why Kim expressed her heart. Yeah, there might be a road, but we're not taking it. We want to take the road that's less traveled. Because in that, not only will there be a sacrifice, but that's where, that's where you're a man of integrity is built. We begin to find out really who we are. We begin to find out what we're made of. Uh, when we get to those places in our life, that's when we really know what kind of sacrificial life we're living. And what better place to find that out than when you're in Coca Canyon, huh, J.J.? Amen. So we're going to start now getting to a place where we're going to begin to close here. But what I want you to remember is that we must count the cost. We must count the cost of our cross and what it looks like as a sacrificial life. So turn with me to Luke 14. I'm going to go back into the New Testament. I shared this scripture with, uh, with the, the church this weekend. It's Luke 14, verse 26 and 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, He cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Again, we learned what the discipleship aspect was with Talmudium series. But he's giving us this again. That he who denies himself carries his cross and follows him. See, that following him again, it goes beyond the initial salvation. It's, again, following him to the place to where we're dying to self for others. It's that second part, this this two-step process. Again, we're getting to the place where we're looking at three lives. We're looking at three lives, what we left, what we're living, and what we're going to attain in the kingdom. Amen? Amen. We truly, we truly have to lay down our lives for others. In here it says, come. Come, when I look that up, it says, make one's appearance become known. It's not just going from here to going to there, but it's making a presence and making known. I ask you, are you making known the presence of God everywhere you go, the presence of Jesus? Is it resting upon you to where you go from one place to another, and when you get there, they see him? 
How about hate? Hate his own life. It's more than just not liking. It's a detesting. It is a persecution. It is killing the flesh. It's crucifying it once and for all. Once and for all. Like Jesus did for us on the cross. I want to show you something in Revelation 24. 20 verse 4. Go, go there real quick. We're talking about earlier the momentary trials. That Rob wrote, uh, read about. And uh, the, the uh, personal sacrifices that Sam was talking about. But in, in Revelation 20 verse 4. Look at this. He says, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been headed, who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. So they were beheaded for the gospel. They were beheaded for the testimony of Jesus. That's a momentary trial. See, that's something we could sacrifice our life and lay it down. We could get beheaded, martyrdom, it's glory. But you know what? That's a one-time sacrifice. Once you do it, that's it. That's it. Life is over. That's easy to me. That's easy. What about doing it daily? That's what we're doing now, guys. We're doing that daily. We need to be dying daily. And that's what, to me, somebody who dies on the mission field by being beheaded, great, yes. But what about all of us who are still drudging through this, who's trying to have a life like Jesus, who's trying to have a life like Paul? It's every day being beheaded. Every day being beheaded. Something that we truly have to persecute in our lives, whether it's the pride, whether it's the money, whether it's your reputation, it doesn't matter. It has to die. It has to be beheaded. Peyton, would you start to make your way up here, please? While Peyton's making his way up, let's stand. I want to um, read to you what I think is the parallel verse to Luke 14. So don't, don't go to your Bibles. Just listen as we begin to close. This is Deuteronomy 13, verse 6. Again, we started with relationships. Nick started with praying about family. And in verse 6, it says this. If your very own brother or your son or daughter or the wife you love or your closest friend secretly entices you saying, let us go and worship other gods, gods that neither you nor your fathers have known, gods of the peoples around you, whether far or near. From one end of the land to the other. Do not yield to him. Do not yield to him. Or listen to him. Show him no pity. Do not spare him. Or shield him. You must certainly put him to death. Now. It's obviously in the physical. I am not advocating for you to kill your brother. Your sister or whoever. But spiritually speaking. What I am saying is that. There comes a time. And I think tonight is that time for some of us that we must begin to put to death those things that are keeping us from being all in. Those things that are keeping us from carrying our cross, from dying daily. So what I want to do tonight, 
is give us definitely an opportunity to respond to the word about a sacrificial living, about pouring out our lives for others. So I'm going to ask that the three pastors would come forward. The three pastors will be over here on the right, along with myself. When we start to go into worship, I'm going to ask that Pastor Matt would begin to pray for us. And think about what you heard tonight. Where are you in this process? What part of this do you need to continue to die to? You know, if you feel like you have laid down your cross and you haven't been following Christ like you need to, if there's things that you haven't been dying to in your life, be it sin, be it pride, be it whatever. I mean, let's be honest. doesn't matter what it is. It all goes back to sin. And that's what we want to rid ourselves from tonight. So if you feel like you're good, my left side of the altar is open and you just want to come sit at the feet of Jesus, do it. It's your time. It's your house. We're family. But I know because I can feel the heavy weight of not only the word, but the heavy hearts in here tonight. There's so many of you that have laid down your cross. And tonight is your night. Come back to the altar. Pick up that cross. Deny yourself and begin to follow him. We're going to be over here because we're going to pray. We're going to empower you. We're going to help you. We're going to help you pick up that cross. But you have to carry your own cross. We can't do it for you. Just like the judgment day comes. Just like Moses. Man, I so much would love to die in your place for you. But you know what? It's a personal account. Remember I told you. It's about you tonight. Pastor Matt.